0: Please stand for the reading of the word. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian and eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to slaughter. And like a lamb before his shearer, is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I asked you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is God's word. You may be seated.
1: Okay. There we go. All right. You guys can hear me a little bit better. I know it's a small room, so it's almost like, is he on or not? But um, anyway, so hey, the the last few weeks has taken us kind of uh, through this this series, the gospel life. And I kind of thought of this as kind of a a cause and effect type uh, series in some ways. Because of the gospel, this is how the Christian life looks, right? Because of our changed life in Christ, because of, of what God has done, this is how we are to now live in many ways. And so we started off with this understanding of grace, moving into generosity, moving into uh, things like just being known in community, how we're, 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 we want to be known and we want to know others uh, in community. And so uh, in other words, you know, when you experience something great for yourself, it's natural, right, to share that with other people, whether it's a restaurant or a movie or uh, we do this all the time, right? We do this all the time where it's like you have to try this thing. You've got to see this. You've got to stream this new TV series that I've I've found, right? It's natural for us to do this because we, we think it's it's gonna change your life, right? It's gonna be awesome. Please do this. So for us as Christians who believe in Jesus, I want to take some time this morning and and talk about this cause and effect dynamic and how it applies to if we know Christ, if we've been transformed by Him utterly, if we, if we are different because of the Lord, what is causing us to uh, share about Him? What is what is causing us to st- stop? Uh, what's what's causing us to stop and and being, uh, uh, and, and pausing from doing that? And so uh, there are there are many things that we think of. Maybe when you think of evangelism, when you think of things like sharing your faith, uh, witnessing, however you want to say it, there, this can be a little bit daunting because man, not a lot of us are great at it. Um, Some of us who are great at it uh, sometimes go to really dramatic lengths to knock on doors or do things like that. And it's oftentimes not something that comes easy to us. Uh, There are many schools of thought, right? So when I was a kid, and maybe you too, you remember uh, getting tracks, right? And you guys remember tracks, these little booklets, these little comic book things, and and, and sometimes you'd see them left at restaurants or, you know, you know, at the urinal or something weird like that, right? Where it's like you pick it up and you're like, oh, what's this? And it's like, are you a terrible person? And it's like, I don't know. Am I a terrible person? And so like find out more on page three kind of thing. And so tracks were like the way that you would... Uh, get the word out about Jesus. You'd see the Romans road on there. You'd see lots of ways to, to walk through that. Uh, I remember as a kid also going to places like Third Street Promenade in Santa Monica, and there'd be like a guy on the corner just yelling at people, right? There'd be this megaphone set up, or there'd be this debate kind of happening uh, on the corner. And so there's like lots of ways to do this. Uh, if you drive around town, uh, I know uh, Ontario, this south part of Ontario is kind of a new area. So there's not a lot of churches actually, but uh, where I'm from and where from, many of you are from, you'll see a marquee, right? You'll see marquees in front of churches. People will think long and hard all week, right? These pastors about, what should I put up on my marquee to bring people in? And it's like, it says something like, like eternity, like smoking or non-smoking, right? It's just kind of these things where you're like, drive by, you're like, oh, is that helping? Like, <laughs> is that moving the needle for anybody? I don't I don't think so. Um, and, and now there's social media, right? So you, you jump online and right in between... Uh, right, this, this meme you just laughed at, and like your niece's first day of school, there's this evangelist guy talking about Jesus and, and all the things that he can offer you. Uh, maybe you've seen Ray Comfort on YouTube, uh, a great evangelist who kind of walks up to people on college campuses and, and deals with people that way. I've, I've also heard people kind of in a, a hope to, like, pump people up and people, uh, to get people excited about evangelism. They'll share stories Oftentimes, about their exploits of evangelism. And, you know, kind of that classic story of like, I was on an airplane, right, from like New York to LA, and I'm like sitting there reading my Bible, and to the right and to the left, there's somebody next to me, and the guy looks over and says, Do you really believe all that? And I'm like, Yeah, I believe it. Like, why do you believe it? Well, it changed my life, it healed my marriage. All these things are different because of that. Like, well, actually, that's, that's where I'm on the plane right now, is because I'm actually running away from my wife right now, and, and I, actually, I need the Bible, I need God oh my gosh, this is amazing. And that lady's like, well, my marriage and my life, everything's a mess completely. And so we all sit down in the row and pray, and they all accept Jesus on the plane, right? You heard this story before. And then the person in front of you, that whole row, has heard this this thing go on. And so they get up on their knees looking over the top, and they're like, what are you guys talking about? And then they all come to Jesus as well. And then the flight attendant walks down the aisle, and they're like... You know, this is something I've been praying for for years, and this is kind of awkward, but can you get on the microphone and just talk to the whole plane? Is that all right? Would you mind doing that? Just share what you're talking about to the whole group. And so uh, I do, and I share the gospel to the entire plane, and the entire plane just raises their hands and gives their life to Christ. And the pilot walks out, and he's singing Jesus keep the wheel, and he's like walking down the aisle. And it's amazing because the pilot has come to Christ as well. He's like, this is amazing. Everybody's crying. And then in the very, very back of the plane, there's this whole group of PhD professors who have just come from a conference about debating evolution. And they're like, this is garbage. You're baloney. It's all, it's all false. And because I'm so smart and wise and I've studied so many books, I debate them right there on the plane. And that whole group of PhD philosophers, they all come to Christ as well. Right? Like, I don't know if you've heard that story before, but I've heard versions of it. Right? And it's like, how is that supposed to make you feel? How is that supposed to make you uh, be willing to engage people on a witnessing standpoint? And my point is this, is that all these pictures inform us in some ways of how, how we're supposed to share about Jesus. It's something we see clearly in Scripture, that we're supposed to live a life on mission, but sometimes it's overwhelming. And so this morning, I simply just want to encourage you. I, I want you to walk out of this room realizing that, man, I'm actually doing a lot of what I'm supposed to be doing already. Um, I I already have friendships. I already have relationships in my life. I already am living on mission in many ways, and and I I simply just need to redirect um, and and be more intentional about some things. And so before we get to this passage that Charlene uh, read in Acts 8, I want to just give you two quick things of why, why is this conversation important. Why is, is living on mission important? Why is evangelism and, and witnessing uh, so important? And first of all, these aren't points. These are just simply for free. First off, you and I were created to live forever. We are eternal souls. We, are, we, we will always be. And, and that's not because we're awesome. It's because God created us that way. And I love Hebrews 9.27. It says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once... And after that comes judgment, meaning that you'll live an earthly life here, but after that, you'll be eternal. And that's why evangelism, that's why living on mission matters so much because we are all eternal beings. Genesis 3 says, God, God says, I made man to live forever. And so I'm, I'm giving you this earthly death. Yes, it will cause pain. Yes, it will cause hurt. There will be uncomfort because of that. But I'm doing it so, so you don't have to live in this fallen, broken world any longer we have heaven waiting for us and and so that's the first thing we are eternal and that's why this conversation is important secondly is that jesus is the only answer as as orthodox christians as those who believe their bibles as as we who, who love scripture and we see the exclusivity of the claims of christ throughout scripture we come to this conclusion together we realize that it's very clear jesus is the only way to heaven And so if we believe that, one, uh, we are eternal in nature. We are eternal. Our souls are eternal. They'll never die. And two, um, Jesus is the only answer. That ought to give us some extreme motivation for those around us who are are going the wrong way. Jesus is the answer, not religion, not legalism, not the golden rule. He is the answer. Matthew 7.22 says this, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. That verse has always been striking to me because there's a knowledge about God. But he, like, we don't actually, if, you, if you don't actually know Jesus personally, none of it matters. You have to know Jesus. Matthew 10:31 says, "Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven." John 8:12 says, "Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." The gospels are full of this teaching that it's only through him and by him that we are saved it's all about Jesus. He is the answer. And so, as you know, most of the world prescribes to something or or someone else other than Christ. And that should create in us an urgency to tell people, not that they're wrong, not that they're going to hell, but that we we serve a a better king, a greater king, who is worth our time, worth our worship. And so, as we look at Acts 8.26, turn there if you're not already there, Acts 8.26. This is Just a quick reminder, this book of Acts simply refers to the work or the acts done in and through the early church. That's why it's called that. And this is after Jesus has ascended into heaven, and the church is working out who they are, how they are organized. Um, And and we see the Holy Spirit just growing the church daily, right? Sometimes that's through big church services. We see that on, on some days there were thousands of people who gathered in church, and it was record numbers kind of thing. But oftentimes, it's like stories like this. Uh, and I love this story because my guess, again, is if you're a Christian, you're already doing like 75 80% of this already uh, of what we're about to read. And it breaks down this myth of how it looks to witness and live on mission. It gives us simple how-to. So I have five points this morning, five things that I want you to write down and remember from this interaction between Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. Um, on, on the road here. So um, here's what it looks like to live a life on mission. Number one is simply this we have to be the work of God before we do the work of God. We have to be the work of God before we do the work of God. Look at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had uh, had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So I want to point out the obvious. Uh, This point, uh, this first point is, is about pointing out what's obvious about Philip. Philip has a relationship with Jesus. Philip has a relationship with the Lord that's robust, that is spirit-driven, spirit-filled. He's listening to God's voice. He's obeying God's voice. The whole reason he's out there in the middle of nowhere is because God told him to be there, and he obeyed. And so know that he had been changed inwardly. He's listening to God. God is speaking to him. They have an obvious relationship and so church, if you and I want to have an impact on people around us if we want to be in a situation where we can share our faith and, and and witness to people, it means that we have to be the kind of person who's walking with God first if you want to be a person where your marriage has an impact on other people's marriages then then your marriage should be christ centered and healthy if you want to be a person at work who who points people to a, a, a biblical view of a vocation and, and, and things about hard work and how we can see Christ in our, in our work, then that's what your attitude should show about how you work. This is why God puts such a high calling on us as believers to be holy and to be obedient and to be set apart. Because when you are obedient and holy and set apart, that means you are set aside for God to use you in great ways. So I'm not sure what happens here in verse 29, it simply says the spirit of the Lord told him. I'm not sure if it's an audible voice. Uh, I'm not sure if God picked the roof of his chariot or whatever. It, it doesn't say. I just know uh, this happens at times. And, and you don't have to be on the kind of charismatic, crazy side of the spiritual gifts and to, to believe this. We've all experienced the Lord at work in our life. The Lord speaking into our ear. The Lord uh, nudging us to do something different. And... And so even if you don't hear that, we have God's word in front of us. If you read God's word, it's very clear that we are to uh, tell people about Jesus. Great Commission says it very clearly that we are to preach the gospel, that we're to disciple people. But I, I don't know about you, but there are times that I hear that small voice, right? Like, hey, say something. Um, that little nudge at the grocery store, you know, at, uh, at, at a family member's house. It's like, maybe I should invite them over for dinner. I don't don't know why, but maybe I should tell them about missional communities or tell them about church or ask them about what they're reading or what they're learning in life right now. You realize these questions don't have to be super deep, right? They can simply be prompts. They can simply be questions that lead to other questions. And so when your heart races a little bit and you feel the Holy Spirit at work in your life, I would encourage you to lean into that and listen. Uh, I remember my parents' generation would say things like, "Oh, oh, someone put... Someone was put on my heart, right? Uh, Oh, you've just been on my mind lately. Where does that voice come from? Um, Well, it's not Satan, right? (laughs) Satan isn't telling us to tell people about Jesus. Uh, It's oftentimes not our voice because we want to stick to ourselves, right, and do our own thing and just kind of live and let live, leave me alone. I'm convinced that that voice is the Holy Spirit. And I'm also convinced that the more that we listen to that voice, the the louder that voice grows. And the less we listen to that voice, the the smaller that voice gets. And so I would encourage you to listen. I would encourage you to be like Philip as he heard the Holy Spirit say, hey, maybe you should get close to that chariot. Get close. Go out here. Get close to the chariot. Pay attention to the guy on the road. And when you do that, God can do amazing things. Uh, Point number two is, is this look, pray, and listen for open doors. Look, pray, and listen for open doors. I really believe this is simple. This is what we're talking about already. This is just asking the question, is there someone's life around me right now that I'm supposed to be having an impact on? Is there somebody at work that I see every day? And it's like, I I never talk about my faith to them for some reason. Uh, someone maybe you're in class with, someone maybe that you've, you've seen and lived next to all the time, and you, you always walk out the door, your front door, and you just happen to be on the same schedule. Like, like, why not talk to them? Why not start a conversation with them? And I think sometimes we think about sharing our faith, and it means having to go out there, right? And there is scary. And it's like, I, I remember, Katie and I would always talk about early days in ministry, and we were convinced that God was gonna have us serve in a hut in Africa somewhere, because that's what ministry meant to us. And I think that's what ministry means for some people. But for 99% of us, ministry means staying where you are and simply looking, praying, and listening for open doors. We need people in your neighborhood. The Lord needs people in your neighborhood to talk about him. And so it's not going out and finding a mark, finding a victim of our evangelism, right? It's that so much uh, about living on mission is not... Outward, but just simply looking around us, who's already in your life that you can invite in? Take the next step, create margin and room for people in your life. So, what if preaching the gospel looked different from that picture in our mind, right? Like, what if it was eating a meal in your home? What if it was. What if it was just inviting somebody who was a neighbor into your home, building an organic relationship with a coworker, maybe a small act of service in your neighborhood. Um, I hesitate to bring this up because it's it's not at all to promote and say that we're we're doing a great job with this. But I was, you know, when we we got this church plant started uh, over a year ago and the summer before we started, uh, summer 2022, uh, Keith and I hosted just a donut and coffee thing in in our neighborhood. And I'll be honest, a lot of it was just to simply get to know our neighbors for the purpose of even seeing, like, hey, would some of these people come to our church or uh, where are we at with, with relationships here? And we were just blown away by, I don't know, it cost maybe like 75 bucks to get coffee and donuts, right, for for like a, a lot of people. And there were just a ton of people who came out and were willing to just stand on our driveway and, and, and get to know us. I mean, that's kind of even a, a, a big deal maybe in your mind. But do something small. Invite somebody over. Have coffee and donuts with just your, your next-door neighbor. This is what Jesus did all the time in the Gospels. This is what we see clearly throughout... Uh, the Gospels, especially in Mark as we walk through those the first year. He spent so much time in people's homes, eating and talking, in these kitchens and living rooms where kind of these highs and lows of life happen. And so could sharing about Christ be less of a sales pitch and much more uh, about what we read in the Gospels about how Jesus loved people? I, I think so. And this is one of our values at the King's Church, is that we would be hospitable and I hope that's something that you would uh, realize doesn't just apply to the leaders. It, it applies to all of us. Could we be hospitable in some ways? Open up our homes. Give resources to what we have. Now, no matter what, it, it requires the Spirit's following. Verse 26 says that he has been led to this road to Gaza. It's a very barren road. You can stand, actually, on this road for hours and days and not encounter one person. And God's saying, uh, look, it doesn't make sense, but I'm going to take you to a place where, where I just want you to stand there, alone in the wilderness, and wait. So wait for who? Who do we see come up this road? It's this, this guy. The, the Bible says in verse 27 that he's an Ethiopian eunuch. He's the treasurer for the office of Candace, which wasn't her name, by the way. It's just an official title, kind of like like Pharaoh was the title, Okay. And, and we know this guy has position. We know he's wealthy uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, he has a chariot, uh, which is pretty baller, right? That's pretty amazing he's got a chariot. And not only does he have a chariot, but he has a driver because while he's reading this scroll that he has, the driver is, is, is driving the chariot. So you know he's got money. He also has a scroll. A scroll was a, a big deal. It's like kind of the equivalent for us of a book. Um, But back in the day, scrolls were all handwritten on papyrus. And so it it was extreme wealth. It wasn't just something you pick up from the bookshelf. Uh, You had to pay someone serious money because it took time to write out a scroll. So we know this guy's from Ethiopia. We know this guy has money. We know this guy has has kind of been working uh, in in this uh, spirit-sensitive way where God is at work in his own heart. And, and we see that um, he's open. He's open to hearing more about this one true God. And God is working on his heart, and he's hungry to learn more. But Philip doesn't know any of that, right? He's just told to go and wait by the road. And so that brings us to number three. Number three is this, start with where they are, not with what we know. Start with where they are, not with what they know. Look at verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked this question, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, "About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or someone else?" Again, I can't believe the amount of folks I've heard say, "I don't have the gift of evangelism. I don't have the special words you're supposed to have. I haven't read the books you're supposed to read. Do you guys see Philip's opening line? Right? It's like this God-given words of wisdom, great depth and insight, years of seminary training. He kind of just walks up and is like, "Hey, what you reading?" What are you reading? Do you understand what you're reading? Are you enjoying your book? Seriously, this is where great witnessing starts. According to the Bible, this is how we witness the people. This is how we share our faith. It's just running alongside and starting with where he's at. And this guy looks down and says, I'm reading a confusing book. And it's an expensive book, but it's confusing. And so, guys, I, I, my, my bet is that we can do this. We can have conversations like this. And my bet is most of you already are. The reality is, is that God has called you and I to lonely roads to encounter uh, chariots uh, of people who have questions, who people who, who want to be engaged. And it simply begins with, how's it going? You already know in your friend groups the marriages that are not doing well. You already know at, at work the maybe the financial stress that people are under or just... Those friends that you have that share, and so they're open to those conversations, and so step into that a little bit, lean into that a little bit. This is where Philip starts. He starts with where the guy is at, not with what he knows. He doesn't go for his theology. He doesn't go for you know, hey, have you read this book on so? No, he he said, look, what are you up to? How's your book so far? It's a starting place. All of us have people in our life like that where their honest response would be, actually, it's not going well. It's not going well. I could use some help. I'm stressed out. I need a shoulder to cry on. I I need a friend. I I bet there are some good friends in this room, and you probably are doing this already. And then verse 31, it says that he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. You see what happens? Philip starts with what this guy uh, is up to already and he's invited in. He doesn't kick the door down. He doesn't barge in unannounced with a track to announce dinner or to interrupt dinner. He's, he's invited in. And so, again, many of you have people in your life that you have already been invited into a relationship with and they're already doing life with you. And Philip's our example because he doesn't try and barge in with answers, he comes humbly with questions Do you understand what you're reading? And he's allowed to share. Number four, keep going here. Show them, show them what Jesus did, not what they must do. Show them what Jesus did, not what they must do. Look at verse 32. I'm gonna read this again. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before it shareth silence. So he opens not his mouth. Who is Isaiah talking about here? It's Jesus. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who could describe his generation for his life is was taken away? This is amazing evidence that when we step out and share our faith with people, that God has our back, right? Like, he, he has equipped Philip with a softball situation. It's like he's already reading about Jesus. He's literally reading about the, the one who our whole Bible is about. He's not reading some random thing in Leviticus. He's not reading, like, he could have been reading anything, and he's reading about Jesus, the sheep that was led to the slaughter, who suffers in silence, who has his life taken away from him. Of all verses, the eunuch is wrestling with the person of Christ. And then in the verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth. I love that phrase. Underline it, highlight it. And, was beginning, with, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He opened his mouth. It doesn't say, Then Philip... Heard the verse and pondered and thought about all his seminary training and the book that he read last year and how he could respond in this, you know, really smart way. It doesn't say that. It says he opened up his mouth. And again, evangelism doesn't have to be this seminar where you go through the class and you're certified at the end, right? Like for the next four weeks, you're going to learn every argument, every counter argument about, you know, why creation is true and evolution is bad and I'm going to give you a three-ring binder and a uniform, and now you can go on and get out of here and start telling people about Jesus. That's not a biblical view of evangelism. God says, have a relationship with me, listen to the Spirit, find opportunities, and open your mouth. It's that simple. Let the Spirit do what the Spirit does. This is a Spirit's work, right? You guys realize this, right? Salvation is this crazy, big, mysterious thing, and we are not called to seal the deal on salvation. That is God's work. God does that work. We're simply called to be there and open our mouth when we're called on. He points to the person, the work of Jesus. He says, hey, you know that that, that verse you're reading? Jesus is the perfect lamb. He's the sacrifice that ends the whole Old Testament sacrificial system. He's the one who was silenced. He was the one who was humiliated. He didn't have one spot or flaw on him. He was perfect on our, for our behalf. And, and so Philip points to Jesus. So many times as Christians, what we feel tempted to do is to focus on the lifestyle of our unsafe friends. We have to knock that off. And it doesn't matter what they're into. It doesn't matter what they're up to. It doesn't matter how far gone they seem from a morality standpoint. That doesn't matter. What matters is where are they with Jesus? It starts there. And who cares how they speak? Who cares where they go and how they spend their money? They're not Christians. What are we expecting from them? They don't know God. Why would they live by God's rules? And how quickly would our reputation as, as Christians in the world switch if instead of pointing out sin first, leading with that, pointing people how, how they're not measuring up in all these ways, instead we simply introduce them to Christ and then do as, as God promised to do, that He be the one to change hearts? My job and your job is not to convict people of sin, it's just to make the introduction. And so Philip doesn't do that. He's not pointing out flaws. He's not saying, hey, hey it looks like you have a nice chariot. How much you pay for that? <laughs> you know how many people you could have fed with that chariot? Who, who cares about that, right? Like, oh, you got a driver? He gets all snarky and judgmental. That's, that's not what's important at that moment. He doesn't attack his lifestyle. He goes where he's supposed to go. He stands where he's supposed to stand. He listens to the Spirit and makes the introduction to Jesus. Which brings us to the last point this morning. Number five is this. Make it easy for people to take the next step. Make it easy for people to take the next step. Look at verse 36. I'll finish it out here. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? So this conversation has it's probably been a couple hours. My, that's my guess. This has probably been a, a conversation that's gotten into even the implications of what do you do once you're a Christian? And they've gotten into this conversation about baptism as the next logical step. And it's, it's amazing because uh, now this eunuch is in the place where he's like, well, you mentioned baptism before. There's a little bit of, there's a pond over here. Uh, what prevents me from being baptized? And I, I love it because Philip then says, well, we have to take our chariot back to the temple and you have to take a two-year class on baptism and then you have to stand before our elders and do a quiz. It's like, no, he doesn't say any of that, right? The, it, it's, it's obvious that he says, let's do it. Let's do it right now. Nothing is preventing you from being baptized. He makes it easy. He's there to encourage. He says, look, there's no, there's no uh, like loop, hoops to jump through here. There's no hurdles to make here. Let's, let's simply take the next step. And you see the passion that comes from this eunuch. He's been a Christian for all of five minutes, and he's ready to make a change. He's ready to take the next step. And that new believer's passion for his faith is so refreshing, and he wants to get baptized. And so just to change gears up a little bit as we wrap up, why does this passage end with a story uh, about baptism what does baptism have to do with evangelism let me just make it clear uh, church um, maybe you've been baptized before maybe you haven't maybe you've been baptized um, by by um, by sprinkling uh, in a Catholic church in a Lutheran setting um, listen when it comes to our new life we are called to be physically marked by that spiritual change and so that's why it's it's so uh, great and kind of like it's a great ending to the story that we, we're appointed to baptism. In the Old Testament, God's people are called to be circumcised. So I'm glad we don't live back then, right? So <laughs> we, get, we get off easy, right? I, I'm very glad that we live in this specific time and place. and, and not as, So for us, it's water baptism. And that's the next clear step for all of us throughout Scripture. And I think of it in many ways. Um, uh, for those of you who are married, if you have a wedding band on... And this is one of these things where, you know, um, I've, I've gone through probably four different wedding bands. We've been married for 19 years. Um, I still have our original one, um, but I got a little pudgy to wear that one, so that one's now in the safe. And, and now I have this silicone ring, and now I have like 10 of these, and they're kind of just like, they're helpful in that way. But I still wear it, right? It's this tradition for us to have uh, these wedding bands. And we're all, we're all in. I, I, you don't oftentimes meet people who are married, especially in kind of Western culture, and don't rock a, a, a ring of some sort. And it's a statement, right? It's a statement. It's a statement for us. It, it reminds me as, as it's caught on things, as I fidget with it, uh, I, I belong to someone, right? It's a statement for other people. When they see me in public, it's like, oh, that guy's married. That gal's married. Uh, that's a That's a physical marking. It's a uh, identifying mark that something has happened behind the scenes that's important. It communicates to anybody, I'm spoken for. I'm, I'm married, and it's the most important earthly relationship I have. And I think when it comes to our new life in Christ, it's the same way, because we should look different afterwards. Our life should be different. In this moment, this Ethiopian eunuch realizes he has a great opportunity to take it even a step further. And in the same way uh, that we are marked by our rings, we're commanded to be marked as Christians through baptism. It's this public event where you stand up in front of the church and you say, I am his forever. I'm his. And, And that's why baptism is so closely connected to the full cycle of evangelism. Baptism is, in short, a reenactment of the gospel that we were converted by. It's this living illustration of what Christ did for us. See, here's what we believe as Christians. We believe in our Bibles that we didn't clean up our act in order for God to love us. We didn't improve our moral standing in order for God to find us acceptable. God loved us while we were still in our sin and rebelling against him. Christ died for me. He took my sin. He was nailed to the cross. He died on my behalf, and he rose from the grave three days later. So what Philip has probably explained to this guy was the same thing that Paul talks about in Colossians 2, verse 12, that we were buried with him in baptism. Our our, our death signifies the death of our sin, the death of, of all those things that Christ died for. In other words, when Christ saved me, he buried that old person I used to be, and he's brought me into new life raised us up together to walk in newness of life. That old man died, and a new creation was raised up. So looking back on the story, we, we see that Philip is incredibly blessed. Man, he's blessed, and here's why. Because when it comes to sharing our faith, it's not often that we get to see the end results. I just want to kind of warn you of that and remind you of that. As you maybe take some of these Uh, points and and steps and maybe you would even put those into motion you and I are not promised to see any results in our friends and family we could be just one voice along the way along their whole life but Philip is blessed because he gets to see the the whole thing he gets to baptize this guy some of you have prayed for years for people for God to open their eyes keep praying Keep sharing your faith. And maybe God would even be kind to pull back the veil a little bit to see a dad or a mom or an old friend come to Christ. Finally have their eyes open to the truth of the gospel. And when that happens, it is worth celebrating. It is worth celebrating, especially through baptism. There's nothing like it. When we get to tell stories About life change, and that's why we love to do that here at the King's Church. We love to hear testimonies and share how God is at work amongst us. We love to celebrate changed lives and see those testimonies. And so that's what evangelism is supposed to be about. It's not about being a fool or a bigot or an arrogant Christian and saying I have my life together and you don't, and why is that? It's it's to say simply like, Hey, I'm being faithful in my life. I'm listening to the Spirit at work. God, what would you have me do next? Where would you have me go next? It's being led by the Spirit, and that's what it means to be on, on mission, an introduction to Jesus, being faithful where we're at. And so I just want to encourage us, as we close up this, this sermon series and, um, and, and even this, this sermon this, this morning, there ought to be change because Christ has changed you, whatever it looks like. And I, I, again, I don't say these reminders to hit you with judgment, but what's different in your life since you met Christ? Are you more generous? Are you more hospitable? Do you have a desire to serve? Do you have a desire to tell people about your risen Savior? I hope so. Let's, let's pray and ask God to do that work in us. Let's bow our heads. God, we, we are grateful for this time to be reminded of um, the story in Acts. Um, Lord, it's a story that's well-known, well-loved, and, and God, you've used it in so many ways in my life, to just kind of demystify the process of sharing, sharing our faith and living on mission. God, would you uh, take these, these, these antidotes, these takeaways, Lord, and I pray that it would be real in our life Monday morning. That as we uh, head to work, as we um, go to school, drop kids off, all, all the things that are ahead of us in this week, Lord, would you, would you take this this posture shift of, of seeing who is around me, who is willing to hear the gospel, who is uh, at work uh, around us, Lord, that we can just simply jump in already and, and have conversation with. Lord, would you make that clear for us? Would you do that work on our behalf so that we would simply step in, open our mouth, and allow the Spirit to work through us? God, I pray that you would uh, demystify this, that you would... Help us realize this is not hard. This is just simply uh, living in the Spirit, living in in step with you, Lord. We love you, and we ask you to help us with this. Praise your name, Amen. amen. Amen.